Hello and welcome to the latest weekly Moneymakers Investment Trust podcast. I'm Jonathan Davis, the editor of the Investment Trust Handbook, and I'm joined this week, as always, by Simon Elliott, the head of Investment Trust Research at the Broking House of Winterflood Securities. We're going to start this week, as always, Simon, with a quick review of the market overall. It's been uh, quite an interesting week, a few ups and downs, it's fair to say, I think. That's right. I mean, it's ended on a, a positive note, but the, the market after the first four days was down. The UK market was down uh, 6% and we saw uh, a marked sell-off uh, in US equities uh, on Thursday. As I said, it's recovered a bit towards the end of the week. And the investment trust sector, uh, not immune, obviously, uh, but it hasn't, got, it hasn't fallen quite as far as the wider UK marketplace, but it's probably down um, 3 or 4% so far this week. And we've seen the discounts widened out a little bit as well. So they Probably started the week at about a five and a half percent level and went out to seven and a half percent as well. So, some would argue that presents a value opportunity, or some perhaps would suggest that the market was uh, had got a little bit of ahead of itself, um, and that's a discussion. Indeed. So, if it is still within that range that you identified last week, the discount, as you say, the market has been pretty strong recently, and there's been a strong rally by some of the previously unfancied names, shall we say? Some people call it a kind of dash for trash, but that's a little pejorative. So I think there is a general feeling that uh, we'll have to wait and see whether the sell-off that you mentioned is a result of some permanent change in investor expectations or merely a case of the froth coming off, as you say. It'll be interesting to track over the next few weeks. But let's talk about some of the companies that have been importing this week. I wanted to start with one which uh, has been in the headlines quite a lot, which is Edinburgh Investment Trust, where, as we've talked about before, the manager, Mark Barnett, has left the management company and the board has appointed a new manager. And we've had some results from them. What have they been looking like? These were the results, the annual results for the 12-month period to the end of March. Uh, and it's uh, been a tough period for Edinburgh Investment Trust. Their NAV total return for that period was down nearly 27%. Uh, and that compares with a, a fall for the FTSE All Show on the same basis, down 19%. And the share price is down nearly 29%. However, as you, you correctly said, we've actually seen a change of manager. So Majedi Asset Management were appointed uh, and assumed responsibility for the uh, for the fund right at the end of the period on the 27th of March. So just ahead of their financial year end. So you can't really blame them for uh, any of the disappointing performance. So really, the, the results that we saw this week was a chance to kind of look forward to see how the portfolio had shaped up. Um, and it's a, it's an interesting story. Basically, the transition to the portfolio was completed, or 98% was completed by the time they got their hands on it. So we, we know what we're dealing with now. Uh, it's a UK equities portfolio, so uh, stocks and shares listed in the UK, um, and only 40, 40 holdings in there, so a relatively concentrated list. And the way that Majedi have got it set up, they're, they're looking for what they describe as the leaders in their field. So companies with strong market positions, so uh, obvious examples that people would have heard of companies like Tesco, Smith and Nephew, Hayes, and uh, you know companies like Unilever and Hargreaves, Lansdowne. So they're putting together a, what I think is fair to say, kind of a blue chip uh, portfolio, and they're trying to generate income and growth. Uh, and obviously, very early days yet. Although the, the manager is an experienced manager, he's been running money for, for a number of years. I think from the point of view of the, the investment trust investor or the, the investor in the Edinburgh Investment Trust, there's kind of two key points. One, this fund uh, was derated when Mark Barnett was running it on the back of poor performance and the discount is still wide, wider than 10%. So that hasn't really shown signs of being uh, re-rated yet. And there's a question mark over the dividend as well. So at the moment, um, the company is showing up to... 
uh, be yielding uh, around about 6%, over 6% on a historic basis. But they've made it clear, very, very clear in today's announcement that clearly it is a difficult environment for dividends. Uh, they're going to keep their options open. The manager believes that uh, the UK marketplace could be down 40% this year, which I think is probably fair enough. And I think the portfolio sounds like it will be not uh, dissimilar. So it's it's a case of Majedi working with the board to help them decide what will be a sustainable level uh, going forward. And we won't really know that until November, which is the time of their first interim dividend. So clearly income is a key part of the story, but there is a possibility here that the dividend is uh, rebased. Uh, as we say now in financial markets, we don't talk about dividend cuts, we talk about dividends being rebased. And this is certainly a contender for that. Absolutely. It's a wonderful uh euphemism you might say it's rebased they tend not to be rebased upwards they only tend to be rebased <laughs> in a downward direction <laughs> i mean this is one of the interesting things about changing portfolio managers it would be interesting, a bit more detail on how they transitioned the portfolio you said it was all pretty much complete by the time they were sort of formally in place and of course they took over just after the market had bottomed i mean the, i think the market hit its low point on march 23rd and you say they were in place on 27th of march so you could see that either as a good thing or a bad thing it could be a kind of hospital pass you've got to start in the middle of a terrible market panic but they could have started uh, i suppose a couple of weeks earlier and then they would have started off with a very bad period of performance so uh, it's a bit of luck involved when you start because that's when your performance record will be taken from presumably so it's there's some chance involved in when you start in conditions like these no, absolutely very important and and uh, you've seen managers appointed just before market crises before and uh, can often be as you point out a very difficult uh, baptism of fire but uh, the point from a jd's point of view is they've got the portfolio that they want on day one uh, and they they will look forward to building a track record i think they recognize that this is a huge opportunity for them um, and it's uh, you know it's a large mandate it's a high profile mandate uh, with assets over a billion pounds um, and, you know, lots of shareholders, uh, lots of retail money in this one. So they'll be determined to get it right, as, of course, will the board. Yeah, I mean, there was some surprise, I think, when they were appointed, as we discussed before, because they weren't on the face of it amongst the most uh, high profile uh, managers in this space. Equity income sector is a very competitive one, as we know. There's a lot of, lot of funds in there and a lot of people come to them because they want the income. And so if they do have to rebase their dividend, as you say, <laughs> that would be a uh, tricky move for them in the light of what's been going on. I wanted to ask you just briefly about how do their fees compare to other trusts which are in this sector, which, as I say, is very competitive these days? It will be at the lower end of the range. Uh, I haven't got the actual numbers in front of me. I don't know if you've got them to hand uh, yourself in terms of the ongoing charge ratio. But uh, certainly, as a rule of thumb, the larger investment trusts in this space tend to be highly competitive in terms of their fees. So this one, I think, is the OCR, at least the quoted one at the moment, is 0.51. In other words, it's about half a percent per annum, which is, I think, you're right, towards the lower end of the of the range in that sector. Well, we'll be watching that one closely, as you say, a concentrated portfolio. One other thing I might mention about them, they have a debenture. I think we mentioned this before, and you might just explain what a debenture is uh, and why that's significant. That's coming up for, I think, renewal or redemption in, or to be repaid, rather, in 2022. Uh, why is that of any significance to their future potential performance? So they, they took this debenture out some time ago, and that's uh, evidenced by the fact that the coupon, so the kind of interest rate they're paying on this debenture, is actually at seven and three quarters percent. Now, obviously, uh, we're, we've been in an interest a low interest rate uh, environment for some time. And, and even at this particular moment in time where it probably costs a little bit more to borrow money, you, you don't pay anything like as much as seven and three quarters percent. So this is a, this is a hit to their 
their PL every year. So at 2022, when they get a chance to uh, repay that debenture, it matures in a couple of years' time, then that should be good for their revenue account. So I suppose I should just explain that a debenture is basically a, it's a sort of fixed price loan. The, the, the coupon, the interest rate you pay is fixed for the whole period of the, of the borrowing, as opposed to what many companies can do these days when they're refinancing these kind of debt instruments. They can often borrow uh, either at a fixed rate or they can borrow at a, at a variable rate. And that can make quite a significant difference between one trust and the other. Am I right about that? That's absolutely right. I mean, there the was a time, probably going back 20, 25 years, where a number of investment trusts issued uh, debentures and rates that they considered at that point in time quite attractive and probably seven and three quarters, like a cracking deal back in the 90s or whenever they took this out. Now, clearly, things have moved on and these things have become a, a bit of a millstone, to be honest. So there aren't that many left. Uh, you come across one or two. And I think uh, most investment companies have a big uh, sigh of relief when they get a chance to repay them. Okay, so that was Edinburgh Investment Trust, E-D-I-N, certainly one that will be on everybody's watch list given its uh, prominence and size. There's another one in the equity income sector, which we've talked about before, but uh, that is Temple Bar, where something similar is happening. They are in the process of looking for a new manager, and they've been giving some more details about that process this week, I think. So that's right. So the board of Temple Bar uh, served their incumbent manager protective notice uh, a month or two back, and that followed a leave of absence on health reasons of their long-term manager, Alistair Monday. Um, so this week came the news that they've appointed Stanhope Consulting, uh, and they are um, experts in investment management, and they will be helpful in the process of assessing their management options going forward. So they've set a deadline of 30th of June, uh, by which time they've asked or any other investment management groups who are, who might be interested in taking on this mandate to to throw their hat into the ring. Um, the incumbent 91 have been invited to participate as well. So it's not a given that it will definitely move. And I think what was interesting, it was the guidance uh, in the statement that the board gave. So in other words, what they're looking for. And it's clear that uh, it will be a UK equities mandate going forward. Um, and they talked about investing with uh, a sustainable value tilt. So uh, that was very much Alistair's approach, a value investor. Uh, but they also made it clear that it's a value tilt in investing in the, in the changed environment of not just the pandemic, of course, that we're in at the moment, but long-term global climate change. So this idea that you know whoever's successful in winning this mandate or indeed retaining the mandate, that there'll have to be a, a kind of consideration of the, the times in which we live on both those fronts. So that's that's an interesting development. I think Clearly, the board are taking this very seriously and obviously doing a lot of work in terms of the best way forward. But it, it, it does suggest that um, it, this is not a desktop review when the incumbent gets a pat on the back and told to, to continue. It sounds like um, this will be uh, a, a closely forward affair. Is it normal for boards of investment trust to appoint a consulting firm to look into this kind of thing when they're considering changing the manager? Or do they normally rely on their brokers and any other advisors they've got or the board's own expertise? Is this exceptional in any sense or is it fairly normal? I wouldn't say it's exceptional, but I wouldn't say it's uh, it's done in every case. We've seen a few high-profile instances recently, uh, including Edinburgh Investment Trust, funnily enough, where uh, a kind of third-party consultant was used. Historically, brokers have probably been the default option. And uh, I know my colleagues on the other side of the corporate wall will have done a number of these over the years, beauty parades, but their job has tended to be more as facilitators. So not necessarily opining on the merits of the, of the different options, but there to organize the process and then allow the non-executive board to make their decision. When you bring in a consultant such as Stanhope, uh, you're really trying to draw on their expertise 
in these matters. So I wouldn't say it's done in every case, but it, it, it certainly has been done before and probably a bit of a trend really within the sector. Well, there's another another company in this sector which has also been talking this week, and that is uh, Lowland. It sounds like a Scottish name. Perhaps you can explain who Lowland are, who their managers are, and what they've been saying. And then we'll come back after that and talk about how all these trusts, are, uh, how they've been trading in terms of discount and so on. But, but what have they been saying this week? So Lowland published its interim results to the 31st of March, and this is another UK equities income uh, play. James Henderson has been managing this particular investment trust for some some time, and the co-manager now for a number of years is Laura Fall. So it's the two of them together, and they're a very good team, though it's fair to say this has been a, a more difficult period for it. So in the six months, the NAV was down 30% compared with uh, a decline of 22% for the all share. So they've got quite a lot of exposure to industrial companies and financials, and clearly that's been pretty tough, uh, particularly over towards the end of that period, so with the sell-off on the back of the coronavirus. And in fact, their their earnings per share was, was down markedly as well. I think the thing to watch with this particular company, um, the chairman made some very good comments about uh, the desire to maintain uh, that particular investment trust progressive dividend policy. So that, in other words, they look to increase the dividend year on year. However, he talks about the, the necessity of, uh, you know, how a judgment will have to be made given the backdrop uh, for dividends. So in common with a number of boards with uh, investment trusts with similar strategies, there's going to be some hard decisions, I think, to be made as the year goes on. It's a large sector of the UK equity income sector. There's quite a lot of trust in, in there. And it's, it struck me that um, there is quite a divergence in terms of the discounts uh, that they're, they're enjoying at the moment. You know, there's quite a few which are on around 10%, uh, which includes, I think, those we talked about. But there's also others which are trading very close to, uh, to NAV. Is that a normal situation in this sector where you'd think there would be fairly common uh, discount uh, arrangements? I would suggest it's probably a bit heightened at the moment because of the the, the market conditions that we've seen over the, the last few months and throw into the mix the fact that we've got a, a number of uh, manager changes or we've had a few management changes as well. So the dispersion in ratings across the UK equity income space is greater than one would normally expect. So Nick Train, uh, Finsbury Growth and Income, for instance, has been trading on a premium for a substantial number of years, as has Joe Curtis, City of London, another Janice Henderson vehicle, being tremendously popular with a great uh, track record of, of year-on-year dividend increases. But then, as discussed, we've had Edinburgh Investment Trust change of manager. Um, it's probably fair to say the investor's still a little bit aware of that. Temple Bar, we don't know where the manager's going. Perpetual income and growth, we're still awaiting the board's uh, decision on that one, who will be the manager going forward. So there's a, there's a few moving parts to this sector. I mean, overall, it has proven to be a popular area for investors over any number of years because of the greater dividend certainty that the investment trust structure has, has provided. Um, but it's fair to say that some have performed you know reasonably well during the last uh, year or so whereas others have struggled and i think that's reflected in the ratings and looking at the yields in this sector as well i mean they uh, obviously you have to have a well at least you did have to have a certain yield in order to qualify to be in this sector and the rules have changed a little bit uh, from time to time but we're looking at yields between four and a half and i think seven percent something in that sort of range uh, which as you say do look very attractive if they can be sustained the question of course being whether they can indeed be sustained. I mean, that compares to the FTSE, I think, all share, which is yielding somewhere around between four and four and a half, something like that, maybe four and a half. So again, is this in terms of the range of yields, is that significantly different from what you would normally expect, where they tend to be clustered around the same level or or not? 
So the yields are higher at this precise moment in time, and that's a, a feature of the fact that we've seen uh, capital values fall, obviously, this year by and large. And that's uh, the result of that is those higher yields. But as you say, it's the question of can they be sustained? It's all very well looking at, say, Edinburgh Investment Trust with a 6% yield, but you know, is the reality it might be a notch or two lower than that by the end of the year? Well, we'll find out, but it's it's certainly a possibility. Other investment trusts, you suspect, will try incredibly hard in order to preserve their, their dividend records because they know that's one of the kind of the key attractions to their shareholder bases, and they will be desperate to maintain their, their fantastic records in this space. So the final point to raise for the moment in terms of equity income is that uh, as you've alluded to, uh, there are some very different investment styles in the sector. Some managers uh, like uh, Alistair Monday, for example, well known for having what we call a value bias. Uh, they're looking to things that look cheap or hopefully are cheap. And then there are also others who would play a more um, growth oriented approach, uh, such as Nick Train and, and, and others like that. And of course, the divergence in performance between value and growth has been very high in the last few years. Any kind of growth style has outperformed the value style. And that's probably one reason why Mark Barnett left his job. But in normal times, would you expect the the divergence between value and growth to continue at this uh, extreme level that we've seen in the last uh, few years? I mean, that, that's one of the big debates, I think, across the whole investment management industry at the moment. That you're, of course, you're absolutely right. Growth has had this tremendous run. It's not just in the UK. It's in equities around the world. And, you know, can it continue? Uh, the, the leadership of the market has been so narrow this year. And technology in particular has been in favour. If you've got a kind of Bailey Gifford, a Scottish mortgage type portfolio, you're probably feeling quite happy and smug with yourself. Conversely, if you've gone for some more cyclical names, then you're probably um, nursing some not insignificant losses right now. So, you know, can that be sustained? Will we see a rotation into more value-orientated stocks? Will there be a cyclical-led rally? These are kind of some of the big issues that investment strategists are are grappling with even at the moment, at this uh, precise moment in time. We have also heard this week from one of the one of those companies you mentioned, which is uh, Bailey Gifford UK Growth, a company with a particular growth style, as we would say, which in common with most of Bailey Gifford's investment trusts. Uh, and of course, that's uh, a relatively new mandate as well, I believe. And uh, how, what have they been saying and how have they been performing? Bailey Gifford UK Growth had some results out. And uh, I mean, again, growth has been in favour, as discussed. They weren't uh, immune to that. So um, their NEV was down 13% compared with a fall for the all share of 17. Um, but they had a number of um, holdings in the portfolio that uh, performed well. So Boohoo.com, Just Eat Takeaway, Ultra Electronics. So they invest across the whole UK marketplace. You know, they are certainly not benchmark huggers, in fact, quite the reverse. Uh, and you could almost group their their portfolio into kind of three different buckets those kind of compounding kind of growth stocks uh, you know you've got names like auto trader and home serving there right move diageo games workshop these kind of companies that have done very well uh, those companies that they would consider to be kind of niche champions that uh, continue to deliver good returns and then actually they've played um, financials quite heavily as well but not what most people would consider uh, you know the banks or um, property companies they're playing holding such as St. James's Place and Hargreaves Lansdowne and uh, you know AJ Bell and some of these more specialist uh, certainly growthy financials or that's the potential so it's a really interesting portfolio it's not a, a, a mainstream by which I mean a uh, benchmark aware type uh, product. And, and the hope is obviously over a period of time, this will generate uh, substantial growth uh, above and beyond that that the benchmark can provide. Well, while we're talking about Bailey Gifford, we could perhaps mention another trust which they manage, which is called Edinburgh Worldwide. Bailey Gifford, of course, are based in Scotland. 
a partnership rather than a, a publicly listed company. And they've done very well in terms of winning investor trust mandates recently in the last few years. But Edinburgh Worldwide, as its name suggests, is not a UK growth trust. It's a global trust. What are they, how have they been performing? How does that compare with their UK uh, trust? So they've got a global uh, mandate and they kind of buy smaller uh, and mid-cap size companies, but they, they can hold them till they enjoy the growth. And actually, their interim results to the 30th of April were uh, incredibly impressive. And as much as their NAV was up 16% at a time when the S&P Global Small Cap Index was down 13 uh, and their share price was up 22% in, in, in that period. So uh, that was a very impressive set of results, albeit over a short time period, and, and they are trying to generate long-term returns. But in, in that six months, they you know they have got holdings in Tesla, which has done very, very well so far this year, Ocado, you know, Teladoc, again, very high growth, often technology-orientated companies. They've also got some exposure to unlisted companies, uh, which a number of the Bailey Gifford investment trusts do have. Actually, Scottish Mortgage Trust probably being the most obvious example. But in the case of Edinburgh Worldwide, they've got 5% of the portfolio in unlisted. And it's, again, it's, it's all about growth. It's a very high growth portfolio. It's trading on a premium at the moment, uh, Edinburgh Worldwide, 2% premium. But, you know, we have seen that rating being volatile over a number of years. But I think now it's a larger investment trust and they have delivered some strong numbers now. They have built up quite a track record. So over the last five years, the NAV is up over 120% uh, compared with um, MSCI World. Smaller companies of about 45%. So that's substantial outperformance over that five-year period. And that's what they're trying to generate with that type of strategy. So if I'm thinking in terms of diversification, we're talking about two very different things that you can invest in by investing in these different kinds of trusts. Because of the strong capital appreciation, you don't get much in the way of a dividend there. You'll be lucky to get 1%, I think, around in in a yield in uh, some of these high-growing trusts, which obviously compares uh, very unfavorably to some of the other trusts we've been talking about in the equity income space. But uh, you have to say that a 100% capital appreciation would pay for a lot of of dividends in... uh, in five years. So you, you have to take pay your money and take your choice. In the smaller cap space, we've talked about Edinburgh World by doing that on a global basis. But in the UK, there's another well-known small cap manager who's also been speaking this week, and that is a gentleman called Harry Nimmo, who runs a Standard Life Smaller Companies Trust. I should say is a company which winter floods are corporate brokers to as well. But what's been going on there and how are they distinctive from others in that space? Harry Nimmo gave uh, an update this week, um, and he's a very popular manager in terms of he has a very strong following, I'm sure, and you know he's a very nice chap as well, so I'm sure he is quite popular. But uh, the point being that he's um, generated a very strong long-term return. So just to kind of give you some numbers on that, in the case of Standard Life, UK smaller companies, his investment trust, over the last 10 years, it's up nearly 300% versus uh, 100% or so, 113% for the benchmark. So you can see that that's um, a pretty impressive return over a long-term period. Clearly, market conditions have been more difficult this year, and Harry invests in the kind of mid and small cap space uh, of UK uh, companies. But his kind of secret source, if you will, is that his investment approach, or actually the team that he's been involved with for uh, a number of decades, is quite uh, quantitative driven. So it's quite numbers driven. It's a systematic approach. Um, and he, over his investment career, has identified a number of factors that he believes indicate the potential for uh, you know, good returns to shareholders and probably uh, growth and momentum and 
key amongst them and he's kind of put these factors together he, he calls it the matrix this uh, system that they've developed and it's as, as discussed it's generated very strong uh, long-term numbers I mean at this precise moment in time I think he's on balance he's, he's relatively cautious he's holding a little bit of cash two percent or so of the portfolio in cash at the moment he's not too bothered about gearing up but he, he can see the opportunity for uh, investment at this precise moment in time so a number of smaller companies are looking to raise money even to kind of shore up their balance sheets or maybe to look to um, uh, get involved in growth and M&A activity when we kind of get a little bit further down the track. So he is quite happy to get involved in some of those placings uh, as and when they occur. I think you'd see that as a good entry point on some of those those companies. So as I say, always a good catch up with, with Harry, a really good insight into that end of the marketplace. And actually some interesting comments about the AIM uh, section of the marketplace as well, which is the alternative investment market. So these are uh, companies, invariably smaller companies that don't have a full market listing. Uh, and there's various uh, kind of technical reasons why that might be the case. And it's fair to say over its its history, there have been times when AIM has probably struggled a little bit. But Harry's comments this week were quite clear that actually um, AIM has outperformed the, the wider UK smaller companies space so far in this in this market downturn. And he commented that he thought that was representative of the fact that AIM had finally come of age and that there were more companies now that um, he considered to be investable. And actually, we, we were seeing a far greater range of sectors uh, available through, through AIM. So AIM is certainly doing, doing well relative to the rest of the UK market so far this year. There was a time when it was all kind of you know, resource stocks or kind of speculative oil explorers and all the rest of it. And I think things have moved on quite, quite considerably. And that's what Harry was picking up on. Yes. And I think it's fair to say, again, he had a spectacular long-term record, but you get the volatility as well. He had a, I remember a couple of years ago, he had a quite a bad patch for a period when people, you know, everybody said, well, has he lost his touch or whatever? And he, uh, I remember him saying he would, uh, he was vowing to carry on until he got back at least to where he was. And uh, he's obviously done that. But you have to take the price of volatility is, is, is higher in these uh, smaller company uh, Investment trust, I think it's fair to say that. But again, if you if you've got a good stock picker like uh, he is, then the results often are very can be very high over a long period of time. So that was Harry Nimmo, Standard Life Smaller Companies (SLS). Let's go on to a couple more. I want to just briefly mention. Let's first of all mention Aberdeen Diversified Income and Growth, which is an interesting investment trust. And some of the things they've been doing recently uh, cast a light on how they think what's going on in the investment trust market itself has been. So tell us about what they've been up to. So, yeah, they had their interim results to the end of March, uh, and it has been a, a tough period for them. So just to explain what they do. So this is run by two chaps called Tony Foster and Mike Brooks, and they're effectively putting together a portfolio of a range of different asset classes. Um, the idea being that you probably don't get the highs and lows of the equity markets, but over time, that kind of range of asset classes gives you a more stable uh, return and also they're looking to generate uh, an attractive yield off the back of it uh, as well. The six-month period to the end of March, uh, unsurprisingly, was 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 tougher for them. NAV total return was down about twelve percent. Probably slightly more disappointing was the share price uh, total return was nearer to seventeen, negative seventeen percent as the discount widened out a little bit. And they're trading on a probably about a 19% discount at the moment. So that's certainly something that they will be seeking to address. But I think what was kind of interesting in their results was the way that they'd kind of moved their portfolio around. So they're both very experienced investors. They sought to take advantage of the dislocation in, in markets particularly in that March period. So for instance, the, the listed infrastructure funds that I think we've discussed on, on previous weeks, 
Um, they did get sold off relatively briefly during that period. They've rebounded since. Uh, and Tony and Mike were quite happy to add to their holdings of those names. So holdings such as uh, Hickel and uh, Greencoat UK Win, 3i Infrastructure and IMPP, um, as well as kind of adding to some of their other specialist funds, such as Biopharma Credit and Hypnosis Songs, which again, I think we've talked about before. So they're quite prepared to use that market justification uh, and add to names. But I think the long-term direction of travel with this portfolio is to put more money to work, not in the in the, the public markets, not, so not into listed funds, but looking to um, back more um, kind of private market plays. And, and obviously private equity is part of that. Um, they've also put money to work in litigation, finance. They talk about uh, economic infrastructure. Um, and this is the kind of long-term direction of travel. So it's fair to say that in terms of the, the discount, there's definitely a bit of work to be done there. Um, but uh, the yield at the moment, north of 6%, will certainly be catching some people's eye. I think I'm right in saying that this uh, trust, which is uh, ADIG for short, maybe not one that people are particularly familiar with, as you say, and it's uh, in the process of changing its strategy a little bit. Uh, but is it included in the in the flexible sector? What is the flexible sector? And if so, what is that telling us uh, about the kind of things that the trusts in that, in that sector do? So the flexible investments uh, subsector of the Investment Trust Universe, I mean, there's a whole range of funds there. They're probably the best known ones are things like RIC Capital Partners, uh, Personal Assets is in there, Capital Gearing Trust, Caledonia Investments. I think we talked about uh, a number of these before. But the idea is that, as the name would suggest, that you can invest in different asset classes. So you don't have to just invest in equities. You don't have to just invest in bonds or property, whatever it could be. So you have a kind of whole range of asset classes. And the idea is that by dint of that, you can produce a different return profile. Invariably, it's a more stable return profile, less subject to uh, you know, equity market volatility. Um, I mean, there will be some people who will say, well, we can do that ourselves. We can buy some equity collectors, we can buy some equity funds and some bond funds, and we can kind of build something similar. Other people quite like a one-stop shop, and that's where I guess you'll find people quite happy to allocate to personal assets or rate capital partners. So Aberdeen Diversified Income and Growth finds itself in good company, but it's differentiated really by the yield that it can offer. And, and certainly within that subsector, with a yield north of um, 6%, it's, it's, if not the highest, certainly one of the highest in, in that area. But it is one of the smaller trusts in the sector, it's fair to say. I think it's in terms of the size. Let's move on to, to one other fund, which we might have mentioned before in the, in the small cap space. This is a fund which invests in, I think it's called the smaller and micro cap sector. So this is even smaller than the small cap sector that Harry Nimmo operates in. Uh, and this is an investment trust called Odyssean. And it's a relatively recent addition to the investment trust space. Uh, and they've just produced some uh, results, I think. What have they been saying? So they had their annual results out this week to the 31st of March. Um, and like everyone, you know, struggling to deliver positive returns, though their NAV return of, of 5% was pretty credible compared with uh, a fall of 14% for their comparator uh, index. And I think the kind of key point with this fund, it's, it's a very different approach to investing in UK smaller companies or even smaller and, and micro and certainly that they're, they're further down the size scale than say a Harry Nimmo. So take a Harry Nimmo, he will have a portfolio of uh, you know 40, 50, 60 holdings as most people will in that space. Some people have a lot more actually. Um, but in the case of Stuart Widdison and the team at Odyssean, they are looking to build a, a portfolio of probably about 20 holdings of which the top 10 are probably 60, 70% of net assets. 
and their investment approach, they, they call it almost a private equity approach to listing in public markets. It's the idea that you do a huge amount of due diligence, very intensive uh, research work. Um, and their kind of mantra is that they're trying to buy good companies and work with the management teams to turn them into excellent companies. So it would be wrong to call them you know, activist investors. That's, that's not what they do. But they're certainly very supportive. And as I say, work with management teams and really try to move businesses onwards and, and upwards. So Stuart worked for a number of years on an investment trust called Strategic Equity Capital. He moved on and, and set up uh, himself with Odyssean and launched Odyssean Investment Trust back in 2018. Um, so it's still relatively early days uh, in its progress. But um, if you look at that period of time since Odyssean Investment Trust has launched, it's one of the, the top performing UK uh, small cap companies. But it, it is going to perform in quite a different way from many of the, the kind of the more mainstream UK small cap funds. It's going to be very, very driven by its concentrated portfolio. Okay, so that was Odyssean OIT. I think it's uh, trading on a discount about 8%, I think, something like that. And let's finish then with talking about uh, a much bigger trust, which is, again, been going for a number of years. Uh, this is Allianz Technology Trust, ATT, which, as you um, would tell from the name, is one of the few trusts, actually, that invest specifically in technology. Perhaps Polar Capital Technology is the best-known one of those. Uh, they've also been speaking this week. What have they had to tell us? So they provided an update uh, on their portfolio. And look, I mean, technology has been the place to be this year. It has had a fantastic run, and, and that's been true for a number of years. Uh, and Walter Price and Mike Sundberg, who um, hugely experienced uh, investment team based out on the West Coast of America in Silicon Valley. Uh, I mean, they've known these companies for, for many, many years. And so to hear their thoughts uh, is always very good. Uh, clearly, valuation, a big talking point. Has, has the tech run gone too far? They believe that valuations remain pretty attractive. Um, I mean, they, they make a comment. They see the valuations as more reasonable than during the dot-com bubble. But for those of us with long memories, remember the dot-com bubble valuations were, were completely off the, off the scale, I think it's fair to say. So everything is reasonable compared with that. But I mean, I think it's fair to say that, that these technology companies have grown up over the last 20 years. The portfolio, I think, is a fascinating one. Um, so when you kind of look down the top 10 holdings, you'll, you'll see a whole bunch of names that, that you'll recognize and know very well, the Amazons, the Microsofts, the Alphabets, and so on and so forth. But the, the way that this particular fund differentiates itself and probably differentiates itself from Polar Capital Technology, which is another fine trust, is that it has a, uh, a kind of mid-cap bias. So you'll see some of those larger names, but Walter uh, is very prepared to kind of uh, go down the size scale and, and try and identify those companies that have got that really significant growth potential. Um, and that's certainly what's driven the numbers. So, uh, I mean, both PolarCap and uh, Allianz Tech have, have both performed very well, but it's probably fair to say over the last five years um, that uh, Allianz Technology has the kind of bragging rights in NAV terms. The numbers I have in front of me, I think Allianz Tech are up uh, 218% over the last five years, whereas PolarCap is up 206%. I mean, frankly, I think most investors would be happy with either return, but... Um, I think it's fair to say that Alan's Tech are just doing something a little bit different with, with being prepared to kind of go down the size scale. It's interesting, isn't it? In that particular specialist sector, the technology one, there's only three trusts, as far as I'm aware. Uh, there's Allianz Technology, there's Polar Capital, you mentioned, and there's also another investment trust called Herald, which has also been going for a long time, but is, is a very different uh, animal in many ways in terms of the size of companies and so on, uh, and where it looks. 
But it's interesting there haven't been more technology investment trusts in a way. I mean, you'd think, given how strong the sector's been, that uh, we'd have seen more of them over the years. Uh, but that doesn't seem to have happened. Do you have any thoughts on why that might be? Well, when I started covering the investment trust sector uh, about 18 years ago, there were an awful lot more. And most of them were kind of hangovers from that aforementioned tech boom period. Uh, and I think it, it was fair to say over the first five or six years of my career covering trust, there was a huge amount of rationalization of those names. And the ones that you're left with really are the survivors and, and, and obviously the best performers. To be fair, we have seen the launch of Augmentum FinTech over the last year or two. And, but that's a more specialist play that is looking at private companies that um, are in that kind of financial technology space. So it's certainly not comparable uh, necessarily to Anion's Tech and PolarCap. But yeah, it's, it's clearly a place where investors have enjoyed great returns over um, a long period now. And in terms of how these technology trusts trade, I mean, the three companies I mentioned, they're all quite large. I'm just looking at the figures here. Allianz Technology is about 800 million, a bit over market cap. Herald is about 950 million and Polar Capital is two and a half billion. So these are very big trusts. They obviously don't pay any kind of yield at all. It's all pure growth. But how do they trade in terms of discounts? So uh, Allianz Technology and Polar are on small premiums and both of those investment trusts issued new shares this year, which is important because it means it prevents the premium from, from being extended, so going up too much. Uh, Herald, in contrast, trades out at a bit of a discount. And to be honest, it's always traded out on a bit of a discount. I've got on about 18 discount uh, at this moment in time. And that probably reflects Herald's kind of lower profile. It's not a mainstream technology play. So you'll, you'll look down the list of names uh, and it's, they're not comparable to Polo Cap or Allen's technology. Katie Potts, who's run that uh, investment trust since launch, she will invest further down the size scale. So there's a lot of kind of small cap names uh, in that portfolio. Uh, and it's a very wide list as well, a huge number of, uh, of holdings there. Um, so the return profile is quite different from um, Allianz and, and the Polo Cap as well. So yet again, what we need to say, I guess, is that when you're looking at these, uh, even at these relatively small, narrow sectors, you do still need to look under the bonnet at what the trusts are doing, because they may be doing some quite different things, even though they're under the same umbrella. Uh, as we said, with the equity income trusts, some of them are value oriented, others have got a growth strategy, but the variety is not quite so great. But in these specialist sectors, you can get some quite wide divergence and therefore um, are not necessarily buying the same thing. If you buy two of them, you're not necessarily just replicating the same thing. That would be a fair summary, I think. Absolutely, yeah. On that note, obviously technology has been having a storming run. We know the market has sold off a little bit this week, and obviously technology stocks have been right at the forefront of the whole market advance of the last few years. So if we are at some kind of turning point, then it'll be interesting to see how they perform, whether they can continue to, as you were like, uh, shoot the lights out in, uh, in investment terms. It'll be very interesting to see. Simon, thank you very much for your time again this week. It's been a very interesting week. Look forward to next week. We'll no doubt see whether the, uh, how the market plays from here. But uh, I'd like to thank you again for your time and insights. This has been a Moneymakers Investment Trust podcast. These podcasts are independently produced and edited and are available on all leading podcast channels. You can sign up on the Moneymakers website, www.money-makers.co, to be notified every time a new podcast is available. Thank you for listening and please keep safe in these difficult times.